Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. on this Sunday, May the 15th. If you want to listen to the show, go to MetsamorizedOnline.com, go to the Talking Mets link, check it out on iTunes, go to my Twitter, at MikeSilvaMedia. MikeSilvaMedia.com is the website, and it is now also the show available on SoundCloud. So go to SoundCloud.com for the Talking Mets podcast. I got a jam-packed show for you guys. I've got Seth Everett. NBC Sports Radio, formerly of WOR, uh, we had a chance to catch up right before the Mets-Rockies game, preview the National Series, get a feel of this uh, Mets team as they just wrapped up an 11-game West Coast trip. I also have a MetsmerizedOnline.com exclusive interview, if you want to call it. Uh, Metsmerized, uh, uh, Mets is a sister site there with minor league exclusively to Metsmerized Online, and Michael Mayer, who really follows the minor leagues on a micro level, uh, more so than I do, I can tell you that. He'll, you know, he had a chance to catch up, him and I, this morning and, and go through the system and give uh, the fans an idea of, of who's hot, who's not, names to look out for from Vegas uh, all the way down to St. Lucie. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll play that interview later on. So a couple of really good pieces that will uh, be coming up shortly, Seth Everett, Michael Mayer, and you can only get it here on the Talking Mets podcast. So continue to uh, subscribe, tune in. You get it on iTunes uh, and also on SoundCloud now. I had this uh, show also uploaded to SoundCloud. So if you don't like the Blog Talk Radio interface, you prefer SoundCloud, you can go to SoundCloud and you can get the Talking Mets podcast. I know you're all going to go out there and you're going to cite the bad umpiring this weekend, and that's definitely – a big part of why the Mets lost. They basically cost them five runs yesterday, and it cost them an opportunity for a comeback in the eighth inning. The game pretty much was over on that sketchy call at Lagares going out of the baseline. But let's put that aside because that's part of the game. You're going to benefit from home uh, uh, umpiring calls. You're going to get screwed on umpiring calls. The reality is, is that right now, this Mets offense, which you all criticized me in the comments section a week ago when we had the whole too many home runs conversation. If this offense doesn't hit home runs, it does not score. This offense is in the bottom third of the league right now. It's a below league average offense. This offense went into Coors Field and scored basically three runs a game. Less than a year after they went into the same stadium, and scored over 30 runs in a three-game series. Of course, Field in Colorado, it was a bad timing for the Mets because this is always a tough road trip. you got San Diego, which 
always seems to be one of those cities where you go in and it's your first trip on the uh, the first uh, city on the trip, and the Padres put you to sleep, and you're always going to play those three two two one games, and and anytime you go into another team's ballpark, you're prone to losing a couple of those. The Dodgers are tough. Uh, used to be uh, Grinky and, and Kershaw. Now you got. Uh, Kershaw and Maeda, and they go to Dodger Stadium. The Dodgers are a tough team. You get the split in those two cities, and you think, okay, you go into Colorado, you take two out of three, and there's your road trip. And, and it would have been a successful road trip at six and five. Instead, it becomes a nightmare. And Colorado is almost – the old Colorado, you'd go in and score 12 runs and lose 13-12, no lead was safe. This is a different Colorado where you still see ridiculousness like you know, pop-ups that go out and, and you have to play so deep that you get little dink hits. The pitchers, uh, breaking pitches, don't seem to have the same bite uh, that they normally do in, in, in normal ballparks. But, you know, really at this point, when you went into the series at the Mets, you were hoping to get the bats going. And, you know, three runs, I don't think you can work. You can't try to score three runs or less in Colorado. I mean, that's, that's, that's the frustrating part. But that's where this offense is right now. And this offense despite the fact that it's light years different than the first half of last year's offense, is performing just like the first half of last year's offense. So where do you go? You're going into the Nats series. you got Max Scherzer on Tuesday. I don't want to say Tuesday's a must-win, nor is this Nats series a must-win for the Mets, but you want to set the tone. This is going to be the team that you're going to be facing 19 times this year. This is the team you're going to be battling for the division. And you're going into this series with a ton – now things are starting to develop with a ton of question marks right now. Not time to panic, but certainly time to question some of the things that we're seeing out there. This offense right now being a bottom third of league offense, is this what we can expect? An offense where you have guys like Curtis Granderson and Lucas Duda who are really only going to be contributors when they're on a home run binge, a home run streak. They're very streaky right now. An offense that has a third baseman that right now really can't throw, walks a lot, but only might be able to play five of the seven days of the week in the back of Eric Campbell, although he had a decent game today, is a big downgrade. Estrubal Cabrera, who is playing every day, and if, uh, you know, age 30, going north of 30, can you expect him to play at this level over 162 games at a demanding position like, position like shortstop when – you know, you have a downgrade defensively with Wilma Flores, and this year so far, Wilma Flores has not gotten his bat going. So you're looking at a, a key position, and you're starting to see, you know, Cabrera's in a little bit of a dive, a little bit of a slump. So the offense is really consisting of Cespedes and Conforto. That's really it, and you're hoping some the rest of that offense could piece together some, something. Yeah, Neil Walker, he's, he's had his hot streak, but Neil Walker is not going to be the Neil Walker you saw in April. Not the Neil Walker you see so far in May who went over 20-something. He's somewhere in between. So right now you say, okay, great. The bullpen's been really good, but you have the starting pitching, and that's what you're going to have to hang your hat on. Well, let's face it. Yeah, it was Colorado, but right now the starting pitching is in flux, guys. It just doesn't seem to be – and I look at process. That's really what I look at. They're not missing bats starting pitchers like you would expect. Jacob deGrom is striking out. Three batters today, striking out uh, about six per nine on the season. Uh, you know, Matt Harvey right now is at best. I mean, really, what what is the difference between Jonathan Neese last year and Matt Harvey at this point? He's awful. You have to wonder, is Matt Harvey having a bit of a game five hangover from the World Series? 
I ask myself that because I've seen some things. Oh, you know what? What's the situation here? Uh, is it because of the innings from last year? Um, but then I look. Matt Harvey wasn't dominant in the playoffs. He was really good against the Cubs. He had a really good start for eight innings against the Royals. He was not so great game one against the Royals. He wasn't great in game three against the Dodgers. The Mets actually wound up having to hit to bail him out in that game. And Bartolo Colon had to come in. And now Stephen Matz is potentially going to be on the shelf. And he has some decent fill-in options. Logan Verrett, who I, you know, I think is a lot better than what he showed in Colorado. Maybe his law of averages came back down to earth. I think Sean Gilmartin has shown. I mean, he's pitching well in Vegas so far this, so far this year. He showed a little bit in relief. Uh, it might be tough to send him down when they need another uh, bench player. And, and I think they already have a couple of lefties in the bullpen, so I don't know how you fit in a, uh, a third lefty over there, a long guy. It'll be interesting how they handle that move. But right now you can't say that you go in and you feel good. You don't feel good about the process. The Grom, even though he's getting people out, he's gritty, you're not missing bats. Harvey's a mess. Bats might be miss- – you're already missing a start. He's got inflammation in the forearm. That's always a, a, something that you have to worry about. Cologne, as you saw in L.A., he's going to have his days where he's on, and when he's off, you're out of that game. You're down 4, 5, 6, nothing early, and you're done. And then you have Syndergaard, who is going through his issues with the whole holding runners on base. Here's a big test against the Nationals facing their ace on Tuesday. So right now you just don't know. You, ha- you have a feeling that there's all these things out there that are question marks, and it's a team trying to find itself. It's a team that's maybe not complete that's going to need more offense. And where are they going to get it? I mean, you're going to have to go out and make a deal. And the thing is, you might need a catcher at some point. Kevin Blowicki hasn't impressed me. Travis Darno's got a strained rotator cuff. Who knows when he's coming back? You absolutely are going to need a right-handed bat. You really need a right-handed bat that could sub in at first base against a tough lefty because Duda hasn't shown that he can hit lefties and potentially play third base for David Wright. You may need two veteran bats here. At some point, maybe he comes somewhere where you swap out Diazza because he's been awful and find another uh, a player in that sense. You know, let's see what Eric Campbell again. He had a decent game. I don't think I don't think Eric Campbell's a guy that is the answer. I mean, he wasn't good enough for the roster last year. What makes you think he's going to be good enough this year? He's just a less expensive option when they didn't want to go after Juan Uribe when it came down to it. So, you know, you really have a situation where this was the first test here in May. And they failed it. They failed this West Coast trip. Not the end of the world, but certainly disappointing. This is not a team that's – I mean, it's, it's, it's a team that's not playing right now like a playoff team, like a team that's seriously – a team that's serious about uh, competing for a championship. So we'll see what Tuesday brings. It'll be interesting. Daniel Murphy will be back in City Field. And I wonder, because in this day and age where I think especially Mets fans who get so nostalgic – about their players. I wonder what kind of reception Murphy will get. Not really important in the scheme of conversation, but what kind of reception will Daniel Murphy get? I heard someone uh, call in, I think it was WOR this week, and said, well, will they give him a video? And I always laugh. You know, to me, guys who get videos when they come back are like Mike Piazza, who had a, a significant impact. And yes, Daniel Murphy will go, always go down in lore with uh, the the fan base and in Mets history because of what he did in this postseason in 2015. He'll be there. He's in the pantheon because of that. Maybe he deserves his ovation when he comes back. But Daniel Murphy played seven years with the Mets through mostly not-so-great times, 
was a frustrating player because he was a flawed player. And sometimes you wondered if he was a player that was always going to be a decent player on a not-so-great team. He's proving us wrong on that. He's playing well in Washington. And uh, he might actually turn out to be a wild card in all this. Because when you look at the Nats, who are no, not much better than the Mets offensively, they're Bryce Harper, they're Daniel Murphy, and they're not much else. So on the good note, the Mets and the Nationals seem very similar. When they're coming into this series, very similar. They both don't hit a lot. They both have very good starting rotations. You could debate who's better. I think the Nats right now, the rotation is performing better. Whereas the Mets rotation, the, the good news is, is that it's doing pretty good, but it's still the, the upside that it's, that's there that they haven't shown. And both bullpens have been pretty good. So round one, Mets-Nats, we'll talk about that with Seth Everett. We'll get into the minor leagues. We're going to try to check in with the minor leagues. And again, MetsMiners.net, uh, which is, again, exclusively part of the MetsMiners.online.com community. So you get a chance to talk to Michael Mayer later. And uh, hopefully, uh, like I said, the Mets need to take a look and see is this the team that they really are going to be going to battle with? Is this the kind of offense they're, they're, that we're looking at? Is this offense an offense that's going to be feast or famine, a bully offense, an offense that has brownouts over long periods of time because it's streaky? Or is it just a bad patch and they failed their first test, which was this West Coast trip? Four and seven is unacceptable for the West Coast. And now they have another test and they have a quick turnaround. They have a day off on Monday and they have a quick turnaround. And then it's the Washington Nationals and Max Scherzer. And then they have the you know they have a game against a series against Milwaukee. And then they have the Nationals again in, uh, down in Washington next week. So six of the next nine games are against the Nats. And really, you could either separate yourself a little bit from the pack here and forget the Phillies who are winning all these one-run games. The Phillies will, will fall back in the pack. So I'm not really talking about them yet. And, and let me see more of the Marlins before I, I get crazy. But right now you've got four teams bunched up at the National League East, and the Mets have one of their uh, – they're competitors that they can write up, create some space and distance, and they're only even all, all the sweep. They're only a game and a half out. So, again, it's not the uh, the end of the world. So, anyway, lots to talk about. Seth Everett, NBC Sports Radio. You'll hear uh, the conversation I had uh, in pregame with Seth uh, in a little bit, and then after that, Michael Mayer of Metsmarized Online, uh, Metsmarized sister site, Metsminers.net. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMarizedOnline.com. You can check it out on iTunes and also available on SoundCloud. Let's take a quick break. We'll have uh, Seth Everett right after this. Getting himself loose. And Syndergaard hits one in the air to deep right center. Back goes Quig to the warning track. Back at the wall. It's out of here! Noah Syndergaard's second Major League home run. 2-2. And he swings and flies one to deep center field. Back goes Peterson near the wall. It's out of here! Noah Syndergaard with his second home run of the night. A three-run shot. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. 
Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com and get Metsmerized today. I'm joined by Seth Everett. You guys probably know who Seth is, at Seth underscore Everett on Twitter, NBC Sports Radio. You've seen him over the years on uh, SNY. You also covered the Mets for WOR a couple of years ago, and he's uh, been on the podcast quite a few times. Seth, Mike Silva, Talking Mets Podcast. How you doing, my friend, on this Sunday uh, afternoon? Mike, it's good to hear your voice. How you been, buddy? <laughs> I can't complain. I know every time I get you on the podcast, I always get angry emails from Mets fans. So I figured, why not stir the pot a little bit? It's a perfect weekend to stir the pot. So I said, let me bring some. Oh, yeah, what kind of angry emails do you get? Well, I, okay. you know what? You originally, and we've talked about this, but maybe there's someone in the audience that hasn't heard it. You originally, I remember when I first started getting into this whole social media stuff about 10 years ago, the first time I heard Seth Everett about you was when I was in some Mets forum. I used to go into the Mets forums because back then you didn't have Twitter, so they'd give you rumors and news. And that's when you right. were on SNY, and all you kept doing yep. was trashing the Mets off season. It was driving everybody nuts because <laughs> the had come off of uh, you know, that was the year they they, they had lost in Game Seven to the Cardinals. It was the year they were oh, chasing back. Sure, Show. I remember it well. Yeah. Yes. So basically, that's you know how this all all went down, and uh, you know that's the first time I remember hearing uh, of Seth Everett, and uh, he pretty much annoyed everybody that off season. So I figured, why? Oh, that's you know, <laughs> But. In all seriousness, it is kind of an interesting uh, day as we head into the finale of the West Coast trip in Colorado. There's a, quite a few things going on in Mets land. They have the national well, series. Well, let me clarify uh-huh. one thing. Let me clarify one thing. I've never lost my objectivity. I don't have a bias against this franchise. Um, I have friends on the franchise, so I don't want them to think that I'm against it in any way. I do tease. Um, when I was working with the late Daryl Hamilton, um, he had an agenda. And when I was working for SNY, I had a very public disagreement with uh, Omar Minaya. You know what I mean? It was always people. It was never, you know, I don't like the colors or I don't like the organization. I had a very, you know, enjoyable time with the organization. Um, We had a very amicable divorce. Um, I can't discuss the terms of it, but trust me, it was mutual. And you know, we, we agreed to go our separate ways. I prefer covering all 30 teams. That's what I've said. Since 2001, my happiest years are working, covering all 30, as opposed to the one. I had a very enjoyable experience with the Phillies, but I prefer national. And the same thing with the Mets. I prefer national. That's what I'm doing with NBC. Well, that's why you're the perfect guy to talk to as we head into the uh, mets Mets series, the first meeting. And what could be 19 uh, exciting meetings and, and hopefully a, a uh, NL East race. Let's start off where the Mets are at. Um, look, I've said that it takes about 50 games to get to know a team. I think you're starting to see what this Mets team is about. They have some limitations offensively. Actually, according to – if you look at baseball reference, average runs scored, both the Mets and Nats have an average run scored or squished below league average. So very similar in that sense. The starting rotation, which is their bread and butter now, has had some kinks in the armor – 
Stephen Matz. We don't know what his status is. Matt Harvey seems to be a little bit lost in the forest. Um, and, you know, we know what's the deal with the, the, the defensive side of the ball, especially with David Wright at third base. But all that being said, it's still a pretty good team. It's still probably a playoff team. But I don't think this was going to be what Mets fans wanted, where I think some expected them to maybe because things got a little easier after July 31st last year or the Nats made it easier, where it's going to be more of a comfortable regular season. This is going to be a race. And look, there's no guarantees of the Mets. If some of these things that we just I just mentioned fall into the negative, there's no guarantee that they will be a playoff team. And I think that's what Mets fans are having trouble with over the last weeks or, or 10 days. Well, there's a lot there. I mean, first of all, some of the things, you know, this is how you can sound both positive and negative at the same time. Uh, I don't take away their division title last year. The Nationals gave it to them. That's a fact. That was one of the great choke jobs of the last 25 years. Um, Given that fact, the Mets are recipients of that. Congratulations. They did a remarkable job against the Dodgers and the Cubs. Here's another thing. The Cubs stopped playing Cubs baseball and couldn't get out of their own way against the New York Mets. The Mets were the great recipients of that. I'm not taking their title away. They have a ring because of it, a pennant ring. That being said, uh, the Nationals made a huge change. You know, Matt Williams was not the right guy. I, I would question whether or not Matt Williams is better off as a bench coach as opposed to a manager. Dusty Baker is a winning manager. He has won everywhere he has gone. So there's a change in the clubhouse. I have spent time in both the Mets and the Nationals clubhouses, and you can just feel the difference. The Mets clubhouse feels just like it did, you know, two, three years ago. The Nationals clubhouse feels ridiculously different. There is a lightness in the Nationals clubhouse that you didn't feel uh, last year. There was too much tension, too much pressure. I think Harper's maturity, and, you know, despite recent suspension, I do think he has matured. We can get into that. I can explain that statement a little bit more. But I think Harper's maturity, Dusty's impact, Strasburg's maturity, I just think there's a lot there with Washington. For the Mets, you said a lot right there. They're, they are a good team. I don't call them a playoff team. I'm not saying they're not. I say they're in the discussion. Their head-to-head matchups with the Nationals is going to be the big chance for the New York Mets. They score runs in bunches but they don't score runs consistently. Um, they have some holes. They, you know, Curtis Granderson is not a great offensive player. David Wright has struggled. He's a friend of mine. It pains me to say it. There are flaws with the Mets. There are flaws with the Nationals. That's why you play the games on the field. And last year, really, when you boil it down to it, the Mets beating the Nationals is why they won the division. I mean, it wasn't. They oh, ran away the, the Nationals. Late. The Nationals choked after Papelbon. The Nationals absolutely choked, and you know a lot of people give the credit to Cespedes, and I do. Um, Gio Gonzalez threw him a meatball. <laughs> I mean, he, he threw him a beach ball. It was. It, it, I mean, it was unbelievable. Right. So, you know, when you talk about clubhouse, the Mets clubhouse is the same as two, three years ago. What do you mean by that? Well, give the fan an understanding of what does that mean? Is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? No, no, no. It's, it's youthful enthusiasm. There's there's a lot of really good guys on that on that team. Uh, a lot of great personalities. Um, a lot of uh, dear uh, people. You know, I I I've, I've sung my affections for Jacob Degrom, uh, Travis Darnot, um, uh, Jaris Familia. Uh, I mean, these are guys I got to know very very well. Um, David Wright is a phenomenal captain. Um, he is one of the, the true 
amazing people in 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 the sport. Uh, amazing people. I didn't say amazing player. I said amazing person. And there's something to that. And I adore Terry Collins. I think Terry Collins does a great job of juggling all those personalities. The difference with the Nationals is I always thought that if I said something out of turn, uh, shots were going to get fired in the Nationals clubhouse. Like, I thought you could cut the tension with a knife last year. This year I went down there in spring training. I, was, I, I did a trip to, to uh, Washington for NBC, and I was down there. Uh, I just you could tell a difference. Now, I think that also has to do with Dusty Baker. I'm not going to also deny, because this is full disclosure, I adore Dusty Baker. That doesn't take anything away from Terry Collins. Dusty Baker gave the eulogy at my best friend's funeral. There is a love that I have for Dusty Baker. He's a member of my family. So when I sense the emotional ties to the Nationals and the changes that Dusty has made, I have told this story before, and I'll, I'll tell you a perfect example. Bryce Harper is ecstatic that Dusty is managing. We recorded a podcast. If you go to my Sports with Friends podcast, um, I did a Skype interview with Bryce Harper. And while we were recording the podcast, I mentioned in passing, Dusty gave the eulogy at Daryl Hamilton's funeral. Bryce Harper asked to stop the recording and interviewed me for five minutes about why. What was it about Dusty that Daryl felt so, that's a mature thing. And Bryce Harper, I could see, because we were on Skype, I could see the genuine interest in Bryce Harper. I tell that story not because I want people to love him. This is a Mets podcast. You can hate Bryce Harper. But he's not the villain that people make him out to be just because he's wearing a different uniform. That's an interesting an interesting take. By the way, I have Seth Everett at Seth underscore Everett, NBC Sports Radio. You guys have probably heard him somewhere. Uh, along his time in media, there's an interesting component to this rivalry, and 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 let's get into it. Is Daniel Murphy switching sides now? Look, I wasn't <laughs> like I wasn't. Look, you were on a podcast that I did last fall, right around I think it was during the Cubs series, and you were very critical of Murphy. And you're you're not wrong. The guy hit. I mean, the guy hit you know what seven home runs in a week, and he played. He was an offensive player that probably was well above his head. But in the second half of last year. He was a very good offensive player, a, a, a basically a, a over 800 OPS offensive player. You saw the good and the bad in Murphy in the postseason with his play at second base. Personally, I think watching the Mets up the middle this year, they're far better without Murphy at second base. It's too oh, bad that Murphy question. with David Wright. Murphy would probably be better at either first or third for the Mets than at second, and that wasn't an option. And, and I wonder if they had that option, if those corner spots were open, if they would have maybe thought about his contract differently. Well, if they could, if they could get out of, if they could, if they found out that they were going to get insurance on David Wright's contract because the doctor was going to say his spinal stenosis uh, was going to render his career over, they would have signed Dana Murphy because that you take that money and and I mean I, I, I want to believe it's twenty for sixteen. I mean it, it, it's, it's a four million dollars savings. Uh, uh, if, right. You know, but but you can't tell David Wright not to play. You know what I mean? Like. You owe it well, to him a as contract. a leader in your franchise. You, well, you, you're paying him either way, but you owe it to David Wright to give him the chance to play play it out. You know that that right. You, if the Mets decide to cut bait with David Wright, that's a, that's a very entirely different decision. And you know you've seen franchises that get maligned uh, for telling the good guys to take a walk. You know yeah, that's, that's the equivalent. That's an equivalent, not an, uh, an apple to apple comparison, but that's Bernie Williams. 
you know, Bernie yeah, well, Williams no, you're, was you're, the guy. It's tough. The right situation is tough, and I think that's that's these kind of these do relate because right now, even though they'd be very left-handed, if you put a gun to proverbial guns of one of the uh, 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 Mets fans' heads, they probably would say. Maybe not publicly because, like you said, it's an unpopular thing. I'd rather have Daniel Murphy at third base than Dave Wright. Maybe they'd rather have Daniel Murphy at first base than Lucas Duda. It's a different conversation because of the kind of offensive player he is. Now, I don't think Daniel Murphy, as much as Kevin Long worked with him, and maybe he's the player that you saw in August and September, I think Daniel Murphy's a guy that could hit 290 to 300, pop you 15 home runs, play a very limited second base. Look, I've spoken to players that were on the mound and had Daniel Murphy as a second baseman player, a teammate of his from a few years ago, like Murph as a player, thought Murph was a horrible second baseman. I disagreed with him. He like, he's not that bad. He's like, no, nah, he's, he's bad. horrible. He's bad. he's bad. And I think the Nationals will learn that. Now, is the offensive upgrade that they got at second, uh, and if you compare Walker and Murphy, I think Walker, who's maybe not as good offensively as Murphy, but he's solid, and his play at second, which isn't spectacular, but it's solid, it's an overall better package. But it is an interesting dynamic because now you've got a guy on the Nationals side has an axe to grind against his former club. You always want to play well against your former club, and that will be the interesting X factor. Forget Bryce Harper. He's going to hit. We know he's going to hit. He always hits the Mets well. It's Murphy because the rest of that offense, Seth, Dusty Baker or not, Mets offense issues or not, the Nationals are not a good offensive team. They're right there with the Mets. They have a lot of holes as well. I don't think Jason Worth could play anymore. Uh, I don't think Ryan Zimmerman's a consistent offensive bat, and there's not a lot else around there. Unless you bring up the kid at shortstop, Trey Turner, and then that's another X well, factor. Who knows? Well, the, but that's, the, the impact of that is Harper's not getting anything to hit, and you know right. Joe Madden kind of exemplified that when he he walked seven straight times. And, uh, you know he he's not going to put him in a in a position where you've got. They are a, a prime example. They need to make some kind of a deal uh, to get a, a four hitter. You know they have to, and and you know, when they do or how they do it. Seth Everett joining us here, NBC Sports Radio. Uh, interesting about the whole cleanup hitter situation with the Nats, and I know we're turning this into a national thing, but it's a, it's an interesting point. They have Lucas Giolito, top prospect, pitching prospect. You could definitely dang, just like the Mets dangled Fulmer, you could definitely dangle him to get yourself an impact bat if it becomes available. You could. I mean, uh, Carlos Gonzalez will be available. Um, we'll see. You know, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, I think that in baseball right now. Uh, there are about four or five really bad teams. Um, this definitively, you know, this helps. One of my biggest arguments on NBC that I do is uh, there's no competitive balance in basketball. Whereas in baseball, there are probably five teams that this is already a lost season. There are probably more than half of the NBA that just said it's a lost season and there's no hope. Um, baseball, I mean, if you think about it, the Braves are lousy. The Angels are horrible. You know, the Twins have really struggled. But to be honest with you, there's some competitiveness. So I just think that Memorial Day is when they'll have to figure something, um, you know, as far as their team is concerned, what their commodities are on their team. And, you know, I think the Mets can do the same. I think the Mets will realize something about third base. They need to make, you know, decisions. Could they use another outfielder? I'm not sure. I mean, Granderson serves a role and, and, and is a leader on that team. Um, could they use another outfielder? I, I guess. But. Um, I think the big thing that you hit on, we kind of glossed over it, was the injuries. I mean, is Stephen Matz okay? What's the story with DeGrom? Um, you know, Harvey's been inconsistent. I mean, it's just been uh, one thing after another, none of which makes this season an anomaly yet. 
it's just this is part of what a campaign is. You know, it's it's a big rarity in baseball to have five starters that start the you know that are that, that go in rotation the entire season. I think Cleveland did it a couple of years ago, and it was it was considered an anomaly. Um, there's going to be a depth issue. There's going to be a health issue. Those are the things that have to happen because when the Mets take the field, you cannot guarantee three plus runs. You can guarantee a well pitched game if one of those guys is involved. And the interesting wild card goes back to what you said earlier about David Wright. Can you survive with David Wright in the lineup that has enough offense? Let's say a lineup that has Granderson hitting and Cespedes hitting and Conforto and all those guys that are, you know, they're not all slumping. There's, a, there's been a team-wide slump. I think you could survive with David in the lineup. Getting on base, strikeout rate is really high. Defensively, my concern with David is defensively, and I think there's two things to that. First, you need to be able to get a, uh, a defensive player. He can't player. throw. Yeah, he can't throw. He can't throw. throw. He's a liability. He's a liability in the field. He can't throw, and that's going to come to burn them. They're going to lose a game because of it. Um, but they, right now, the, the options with Eric Campbell are, are not any necessarily better. But here's the thing. Even if you get a veteran option, Bell, David, or to be in there defensively, I don't know if Terry Collins has – I don't know if he would, he, would, he would go about taking David Wright out of a close game. He's, he's loyal to his veterans. You saw it sometimes with some of the bullpen guys last year. Tyler Clippold is, is an example. He'll go down to shoot with them even when all the data, all the information you have on a field says you need to go in a different direction. I don't think he would move away from Wright. I think he would lo- he'd rather lose with David Wright not throwing the baseball than win with – maybe another player subbing in for David Wright on a consistent basis. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it's, it's just Terry Collins. It's the entire organization makes the decision. I don't think uh, Terry just, you know, Terry doesn't write the ladder card up in the, in the morning and just say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try this. Everything is talked about, gone over. There's meetings upon meetings, conference calls, emails. I mean, it is such a, a collaborative effort. Uh, it's always, and you and I have had that conversation in the past. I always love when people get on Terry Collins, like like he lives in a bubble and he just, you know, makes these arbitrary decisions. Um, it, they're all done by committee. Terry's just the leader of them, and and and, and a good leader at that because what he does is he knows how to wa- walk the line uh, and have good relationships with with his players and commands respect from his players, but also toe the company line. And you know that that's always a uh, a trend in baseball. You know, you're starting to see a lot of these young managers in baseball, uh, uh, Craig Council, Brad Osmus. Uh, you start to see, uh, uh, what's his face down in Arizona, uh, Chip Hale. You see these, these younger guys uh, who they, they are the field generals, but they're not the old school field generals like a Jim Leland or a Tony La Russa. You see it differently. And uh, it's now everything that's kind of done by committee you know, front office on down. The front office interaction with the clubhouse is has never been greater. I don't like it. I mean, I think you hire a manager, you hire them to manage. But I understand uh-huh. that the, the modern front office uh, looks at it like a corporation where there's a middle manager, the middle manager is out there to execute a strategy. And uh, that's the front how, office that's how, uh, chair, yeah. would you really want to just – yeah. You know that that's, that's the way. That's how, hey, let me throw you a wild. Networks do it. That's how networks do it. That's how, that's how teams do it. You know, they're teaching courses on sports management now because of this. Yeah, no, exactly. Let me throw you a wild card. They've won a number of one-run games. I don't think they're sustainable, but they're a lot better than everyone thought. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies are the Philadelphia Phillies a lot better than everyone thought, or a lot luckier right now in the first thirty-some odd games of the season. Um, 
They're a combination of both. I think that the Phillies are clearly on the uptick. Uh, it took a couple of years, probably two extra years because of their loyalty to some of their veterans. Um, but once they were able to finally clean house and, and, and get some new players in there, uh, they played inspiring uh, baseball. Pete McCannon deserves a, a, a lot of credit for it. Uh, ultimately, I'm not going to sit here and start to put win totals on them. Um, I just say that they're a franchise on the uptick. My, my, my point about this season, uh, and I do this every year, I, I have two categories. Number one is, is if X, Y, and Z go right, are they contenders? And at the end of the season, can you take the 30 teams and just put a thumbs up or a thumbs down on whether or not the franchise is in the right direction. Since 2011, the Phillies have been on a downslope every season going into this one. This is the first year that you can start to see that they are a franchise that's on the uptick. Um, the Yankees are on the down, down level. But, you know, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, the Orioles, Tampa, they're all on the upswing. So you start to see where franchises are going, and I think that, you know, what, what does that translate into? I don't know if they're relevant in the division. If I was to, to, uh, to be told who do I fear more for a possible run, it would be Miami, not the Phillies. Uh, I still think there's more talent on Miami. Uh, they go through spurts as well. Uh, but ultimately, the Phillies are not going to be the, the doormat for a long time. It's just a shame what's going on in Atlanta because it's probably going to cost Freddie Gonzalez his job, and Freddie was handpicked by Bobby Cox. Uh, but, you know, in the final year of Turner Field, the ballpark that doesn't need to go anywhere, um, <laughs> they're saying goodbye to. I wish they could literally take Turner, Turner Field, lift it up, and move it out to either Tampa or Oakland. Because if you could tell Tampa market or the Oakland market, sign for that ballpark, functional ballpark. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of – I mean, I think Arizona wants a new it's ballpark. An it's, it's an, it's an embarrassment. Well, Chase Field is nicer than, than uh, Turner Field, but – Turner Field is I haven't been to Turner Field. I've been to Chase Field. It's nice, Chase. I mean, it's in the middle of just like a, a, no, just a needs, bland well, they're, they're, area. Arizona's argument, but Arizona's argument is not about um, new a new ballpark. They're talking about a new ballpark. They don't want a new ballpark. They want their current one modernized. That's all they're asking for. They want uh, taxpayer dollars for it. It's, right. it's, it's the old argument. You know, the headline there was. There's been some really gross reporting in, in baseball this year, and one of them is, is Arizona's looking for a new stadium. Arizona's you know, ninth on the list for a new stadium. Tampa, Oakland, that's what Rob Manfred has to, has to deal with. Fix those two franchises and deal with the rest. Right. Well, ballparks are like televisions now. You buy a television in 2011. In 2012, all the new amenities come out, and you're like, if I only waited. I know. I know, and I'm excited because we have to buy a new TV. We're, re- we're re- renovating our bedroom. We need a new right. TV, and I'm like, what? What kind of TV can we? Uh, like, I'm so excited about that purchase. You can watch. You can watch yourself if you get if you're on TV. You can watch yourself in the highest of high definition now. I know. I'm trying to convince my wife to uh, that we can take the TV from my office, put it upstairs, and I, I can get the new TV. That that that's that's, <laughs> that's going to be a podcast in its own. So before I let you go, so you got a couple of podcasts. Yeah. You're like uh, you're like into the podcasting now. NBC Sports Radio. Yeah. Um, give everybody a, a feel of where you're at, and then if they get mad, I'm just going to refer them to your podcast. They could call you and tell you how many. No, that's are fine. Here. That's fine. Um, yeah, no, no. If anybody, if anybody can't uh, take the uh, the objectivity, I, I I think I'm very honest. I think I'm very uh, objective when it comes to. Uh, the way I cover baseball. And, 
No, the podcast I love, Sports with Friends is, is, is great. The, the, the mantra behind it is every guest has to be a friend or a friend of a friend will play Jewish geography. Um, it's been a, a blast. And then the other one is, is not sports at all. It's uh, the comic book one, uh, Hall of Justice. Um, we have, you know, we get actors and we get directors and writers. And uh, so it's a lot do you of talk fun. To, uh, do you talk about the Walking Dead comic or you just talk about like superhero type stuff? We haven't done a Walking Dead podcast yet. I've been asked to. Um, you know, I, I, I need I need a, a great guest from it. You know, a lot. For example, we did um, we did a lot on did a lot on Star Wars, Batman, Superman. Um, I just uh, taped an interview with uh, the guy who plays Professor Zoom uh, on the Flash. Um, mm. Flash is a great is a great show, and um, you know what happens as a result is uh, that interview is going to get posted this week. So. The Hall of Justice is doing do, doing real well. It's kind of a labor of love. Um, you know, NBC Sports pays the bills, but uh, but the podcasts are, are fun. I, I'm a, I'm a huge I'm a huge believer in podcasting. I think they're the future. As a matter of fact, the folks at NBC did a very nice thing. They turned uh, my radio show into a podcast. So uh, now, if people don't hear it on Sundays, uh, they wind up you know downloading it during the week and uh, can interact with me there. So it, it's it's been a lot. I I, I really think it's it's not just the future. I think it's the present. Awesome. Well, listen, you generous your time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I know we'll be uh, we're watching this race tightly. We'll have you on again. And uh, next time you're on, maybe things will be a little bit calmer in Metzville, and uh, there'll be 10 games ahead of the Nationals, and everybody can tell you I told you so. Uh, we'll see. Right. I'll, sing, I'll sing their praises if they do. All right, man. Thanks a lot. You got it, bud. And that's Seth Everett. You can check out Seth on Twitter, at Seth underscore Everett. NBC Sports Radio, of course, uh, a bunch of podcasts that he just mentioned. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. When we return, Michael Mayer. Michael is uh, at the main Mets on Twitter at Mets underscore Miners Mets Miners dot net. Like like I said, the sister site here to the Mets Miners Online dot com community. Let's get into the Mets Miners. Let's see what's going on, uh, what we could get excited about, some of the top prospects. Are there pieces that can help this Mets team, which right now looks like it's going to need some offense? It's going to need some reinforcements. Are there pieces the Mets can trade, just like they did last year, to help the big league ball club? That's the best part about this when you do these minor league reports. When the Mets were rebuilding and basically in purgatory, this is what you were looking forward to is fantasy, the future, the prospects. Now you have the prospects. The prospects are here in New York. What prospects can they use to maybe leverage and get themselves some additional big league talent. Who are the prospects that can fill in and keep the train rolling as the Mets try to take advantage of this window opportunity as they uh, are trying to build upon their pennant from a year ago? All right, let's take a quick break. Michael Mayer, MetsMiners.net. When we return, right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. 
I'm joined by Michael Mayer. Michael is at MetsMiners.net. You can check him out on Twitter, at the main Mets is his Twitter handle, at Mets underscore Miners is a Twitter handle for the uh, MetsMiners.net, which uh, is the number one source for Mets prospect news, at least what we believe here on this podcast at MetsMorizedOnline.com. And Michael's up in Portland, Maine, watching the B-Mets this weekend. Michael, uh, Mike Silva, Talking Mets podcast. How you doing, my friend? Doing great, great, and even better that I got to see Dom Smith hit a home run yesterday. Well, let's let's start there. Uh, you're watching the Binghamton to Mets, and I have not been. I used to go to Trenton a lot at one point to watch the B Mets and 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 watch the Yankees prospects and look at the uh, uh, the Eastern League. Haven't done that in a while. Back trying to get back into it now that I'm doing baseball only centric show here. Let's start with the B Mets who uh, won a title a couple of years ago. Dominic Smith. Let's go there. Mets number one prospect, uh, not number one prospect, but number one pick from a couple of years ago. Obviously, someone that Mets fans look to as potentially replacing Lucas Duda at some point, maybe sooner rather than later. Where's Dominic Smith at? Uh, for those who may not know, struggled a lot in the power department early on in his career, but has really come on offensively and has the potential for Gold Glove defense. Is that you know where are we at in that spectrum? Yeah, I think. I mean. I think he's definitely developed his power. I mean, yesterday was his fourth home run this year, and he didn't hit his fourth home run last year until July. So, and and that's what people were looking for was the power to develop. So I, I think I think it's coming along, and also have to realize that he's still only 20 years old and playing in Double A, one of the youngest players in the Eastern League. So, it it's not going to all come at once either. What what about the glove? Is the glove as good as everyone thinks? You've heard gold gloves level defense at first, and I'm somebody that over the years has put a lot of stock in defense at first base. I, I, I understand it's maybe a little overrated at times, but can't hurt, especially when you have a third baseman, David Wright, who's having some throwing problems. You don't know what, what, what happens there up the middle as the time goes on before Dominic Smith comes to City Field. Really helps having a Gold Glove first baseman, in my opinion, and uh, that's what you hear about Dominic Smith. Oh yeah, and I 100% agree. And I mean, talking about David Wright and the low throws, one of the things he does best over there is scooping low throws. He's he's like a vacuum over there on low throws. And I mean, some people talk about his size and stuff, but that that doesn't stop him over there. He's he's definitely a Gold Glove caliber first baseman right now. When you look at the B-Mets, now that the prospects have all graduated, I mean, a couple, if we did this segment a couple of years ago, this would, be, this would be probably one of the main highlights of our podcast because the Mets were playing poorly. It was all about the future. Now it's about the big league club, and we'll get to that because there may be some components of some players in Vegas that could potentially help them. But when you look at A, which typically is the level where a lot of top prospects, they graduate from there now, but that's where they're stashed. That's where they're developed. Other than Dominic Smith, what are you looking at with the B-Mets? Because if you look at the numbers, there's nothing that really would excite the average Mets fan who may not be versed outside of the top prospects in the Mets system. Yeah, right now, there's the B-Mets, more, they're more of an older, older team with some veterans down there. They're kind of waiting for Ahmed Rosario to come up, and they're hurting with Jeff McNeil, who just had uh, sports hernia surgery. Um, so they're, they're kind of missing some, they don't have a ton of prospects offensively down there. Pitching wise, 
the guy you jump right to is Robert Gazelman, who is their ace and arguably the Mets' best pitching prospect now. Um, and he saw a little bit of him in spring training. If uh, you know, at times they actually pitched them a little bit more than just a few times this spring. Yep, yep. And Mets fans have, since they saw him in spring, made him easily recognizable because he kind of has the Jacob Degrom hair look. But he he actually hit 98 once this year, and he's hitting 94, 95 fairly consistently, which is up a tick from last year when he's in the low 90s. And and he also learned a slider this spring too. So that he's definitely become a more intriguing prospect. And right now, I would say he's the Mets' number one pitching prospect. And partially because his big knock last year, a lot of people had on him was that he wasn't striking out enough hitters, but he's almost doubled his Ks per nine innings this year from what he was in Binghamton last year. So that's definitely a great step for him. Is he profiled maybe more of a back end of the rotation type of guy, long reliever? What what kind of uh, ceiling does uh, Robert have, Robert Gelsman have? Yeah, I, I still think uh, Gazelman, even with the uptick in velocity and the the new slider. I still think at best you're looking at like a three started, and but on the downside, I think I think his floor is a four or five. I definitely think he's a he's a major league starter because he he pounds the zone, doesn't walk many guys. He stays, although the strikeouts are on a big number, he stays away from a lot of hard contact, which is obviously a good thing. So I I definitely think you see him in a major league rotation, whether now whether that's the Mets or whether Sandy uses him as another piece, we'll have to see. Michael Mayer is joining uh, me here, MetsMiners.net. It's almost a uh, – it's basically a sister site to MetsMiners.online.com, and they cover all the Mets minor leagues, which in this day and age is something that a lot of the fans, they, they – until the big leagues. I mean, geez, Wilmer Flores, who – uh, he's only been in the big leagues a few years. I remember talking about him in 2008 when he got drafted, so or signed, I should say. So it, this is uh, this has become a really big part of, of the media as time has gone on. One, not necessarily a prospect, but I'd be remiss if I didn't at least bring him up because again, you're watching Binghamton because the last name is going to jump off the page for a lot. L.J. Mazzilli, Lee Mazzilli's uh, son, has uh, you know played in Brooklyn at one point has not developed offensively as many would think. Where is Mazzilli at? Is he a non-prospect? Is there still some potential there? It would obviously be a great story to have another Mazzilli don a Mets uniform in some capacity at some point, but so far it, it just hasn't worked out in the system. Yeah, unfortunately for him, I just, at this point, he's really a non-prospect for me because he he hasn't shown any power at all since homering in the first game last year he hasn't homered in 120 games since which is obviously an issue he's only batting 208 this year for Binghamton and that's playing as a 25 year old in double a which is obviously a little old I mean Very I, think, old I, don't, in I don't know if it was the suspension that derailed everything because he hasn't hit since but at this point he's an he's a non-prospect for me which is too bad when because you, of the name. It would be a great story. It would be a great story. And at one point, you didn't, you didn't know with Daniel Murphy potentially being a free agent, you didn't know if there'd be an opening at 
second base in the near future, and, and, and that obviously has not happened. You brought up, and let's get to him, because I think we're probably going to see him in Binghamton in the second half of the year. And the hype, but I shouldn't say the hype, but maybe the dialogue reminds me a little bit of when Jose Reyes was coming up. But Ahmed Rosario, shortstop, playing in St. Lucie, had a cup of coffee in Binghamton last year, hitting over 300, showing a little bit of power. I mean, he may not have the Reyes in prime stolen base capability, but he has some speed. Seems like defensively he's 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 at that level of what we expected when Reyes first came up. Give me what Amad Azario, that to me is probably the Mets' top prospect right now. You could argue maybe Dominic Smith because he's a corner player with power, but because of the premium position that Rosario plays, to me that's the top prospect. And uh, somebody that may not be that far off, he is 20 years old, and uh, somebody that may be a cornerstone player for this team not too far in the in the future. Yeah, he's, I mean, for me, he's definitely the Mets' number one prospect right now. And the big issue a lot of people that didn't have, that didn't see him play coming into this year was, oh, it's just hype, it's just hype. We're, these gurus are just going off his raw skills and stuff. And then this year, going back to St. Lucie, he's finally, he's finally hitting. I mean, he's, He's got a slugging percentage over 500 for a 20-year-old shortstop, which is obviously very impressive. And I think even more so lately, he's he's not striking out. He's only struck out three times in his last 13 games, which is a huge step for him because he's always been a free swinger. And, yeah, like you said, the defense, I definitely think he's a plus defender shortstop that only going to get better once he matures. He's got a great arm, good hands, I mean, good range. He has he has Reyes type speed, but he doesn't he he's not a base stealer yet. He's got 8 this year, but he's also been caught four times. So that's I think so, that's something that's going to come once he gets older and matures a little bit. I think he's going to learn to be a better base stealer. But all all signs point to him being the Mets shortstop of the future and I would think he should be in Binghamton. I he should be in Binghamton next month, but we'll have to see wait and see on that. Uh, his teammate in St. Lucie is the name that everybody forgets when it comes to the RA Dickey trade. Everyone talks about Travis Darno, obviously Noah Syndergaard, but Wilmer Becerra in uh, St. Lucie outfielder on-base percentage over 400, uh, hasn't shown any power or a little bit of power, but not a lot considering he's an outfielder, uh, strikes out a little bit much, but starting to hit. What do you think about Becerra? Because that's the name that, I mean, geez, if you could get any kind of big league contribution, he's 21 years old, even if he becomes a fourth outfielder type. I mean, imagine that you'd get potentially out of that deal for a Cy Young Award winner, mind you, top of the rotation, number one starter, everyday catcher if Darno ever gets it together with his health, and then an outfielder that may be a number four, possibly a starter. That, to me, I mean, that's right up there if that happens. I mean, it doesn't have to happen to make that trade. That trade's been, been won already. But talk about Becerra, where he can where he can foot into this, uh, to this situation. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's been kind of a weird year for Becerra. He's He's hitting for a high average. He's at three. I'm saying all these guys' right names wrong. You're correcting me between uh, Giselle and Becerra. I mean now. I mean now. I, I should have done my research before it. I'm looking bad here. <laughs> it's always what happens. No, yeah, sorry. I, I'm not trying <laughs> I'm to. It's it, they're all tough ones. I'm, 
It's tough, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, he's in, he's gone into a little bit of a well, it's I shouldn't call it a slump, but it is for him because he was batting over 400 for two weeks and he was in the top five in all of baseball and hitting. But he's he actually is a guy that's going to hit for power, and I think part of the reason why he hasn't this year is he's been dealing with a shoulder issue that's put him uh, that he's DH'd more than half of the games because of the shoulder issue. But he did hit nine home runs and 27 doubles last year in uh, Grayson Stadium, which is a great, great pitcher's park. So I think the power is going to be there. Um, he's a good defensive right fielder. He has a good arm for right field. I, he's your prototypical right fielder as long as he cuts down on the strikeouts, which is something that he's done this year. He's made a lot more contact. I think I think ultimately he is the guy you look at who takes over for Granderson in right field and makes Sandy Alderson look even better from a trade that he's already obviously won. Or potentially, I look at someone like that as a piece. I know that, and we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. And by the way, we're joined by uh, Michael Mayer of uh, MetsMiners.net. We're going through the Mets minor league system here. Uh, maybe a piece that could land the Mets something as the season goes on to complement this roster. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, I was talking to Kevin Kernan about this uh, last week of the New York Post. Mets have used a lot of their depth prospects to bring players in last year. Fulmer, obviously, for, for Cespedes. There's still a lot there. You don't want to strip the farm system. The Mets are in a win-now mode. But Becerra, to me, does look like the type of player, potentially, I don't know if he could lead a package, but he could make a package pretty attractive if the Mets want to get themselves maybe another bullpen piece, possibly another offensive piece, depending on how things go. Uh, potentially that's where the value, and, and that would, again, there's a value to a trade if that's what happens. Oh, certainly. And the other name I jump right to when you're talking trades or potential July trades this year is uh, Gavin Cicchini because he's the Mets – I mean, some people have him have him as second prospect, some have him as third, but he's one of the Mets' top prospects, and he really doesn't have a an immediate spot on the Major League roster, and he's in AAA, and he started the year off. He didn't start the year off well, but he's he's done well since and got his average up to 294, but he with Cabrera back on a two-year deal, you're looking at Cicchini staying at shortstop in Vegas for two years, which really... He could be ready at some point this year. And so I think he's a guy you definitely look at that's going to be traded, uh, assuming he comes back healthy. He's on the disabled list right now, but it's just a sore back, so he should be back soon. But he he's definitely a guy, I think, when talking this uh, trade season that the Mets will get a bunch of calls on. And, and you jump right into Vegas. Let's get to that. And this is where it's – when you're at the point where the Mets are, this is where these segments become a lot more fun because you could talk about what we just said about trades and maybe bringing in some big league talent. I think we forget it's fun to talk prospects and ceilings and all that stuff, but ultimately the goal is for these guys to contribute at the big league level and to help the Mets win and possibly win a championship. But let's get to that because I look at the Mets roster and I talked about this earlier. Eric Campbell to me is going to be a point, especially if you're going to sit, you're going to have to sit right one to two days a week. You're going to have to probably, unless he really improves against lefties, and this is a whole other debate, maybe Duder against tough lefties. Where, where does that Campbell-type role, guy who could play the corners, where does that, you know, who is that guy? Probably somebody 
like what they did last year with Juan Uribe, somebody outside the organization. You'd like somebody who could play both corner positions. Now, there's a name on Vegas. He's not going to come up on any kind of prospect radar. Mets could have easily lost him this winter. I know that it's easy for us to sit here and speculate or, or, or scout via numbers, and that's not what you're supposed to do. There's probably a reason why he hasn't gotten a shot, but he wouldn't be the first player to you know, be overlooked by the, uh, by the league. And it's T.J. Rivera, a guy who continuously hits for his career in the minors. He's hit over 300. He's at 319. Yeah, almost has an 800 OPS. The guy who could probably pop you five, six, seven home runs, maybe even double-digit 10 home runs in a season. And he can play, looks like, most of the infield. He's even got a little first-base experience. Where are we at with T.J. Rivera? Can we see him potentially at City Field before the year is out? And uh, maybe why has he not gotten a shot? He was available for the Rule 5 draft this winter. Why has he not gotten a shot? Is there something the scouts don't like? Is he just one of those players that just doesn't profile well, that people just don't like for whatever reason? Sometimes it's politics as much as anything. What about T.J. Rivera? Can he play the Eric Campbell role that I don't know right now if Eric Campbell could play very well? Well, I, I know a lot of fans have been already calling for Rivera, and getting to the scout thing and maybe the reason why he wasn't taken in the Rule 5 or why he hasn't gotten a chance yet is, one of the big things is walks. I mean, he, he doesn't take a ton of walks, which is obviously something the Mets have as an organizational thing that they they like to see. And not just the Mets, but all of baseball is more of on-base now. And he his on-base is high, but it, it's batting average driven. He's, he's a guy that's not going to take a bunch of walks. And the other thing is he doesn't have a ton of power, um, and he doesn't he doesn't necessarily have a position, which is a good thing and a bad thing because he doesn't have a prime position where he's a great defender at. He's played short in the past. He hasn't played there this year, but he, he can still pass it short. Um, he plays a decent third. His best position second. Like you said, he has played some first this year, and he's actually played one game out in left field, which kind of thinks, makes you think maybe the Mets are thinking about possibly giving him that Eric Campbell type role. I think I think at this point the Mets are in a position where he should at least get a shot over Campbell. He he's going to hit, he's going to put the ball in play. The big question is whether he will hit for a high enough average to have value because he doesn't walk. Um the big thing hurting him is he's an undrafted player and he's not on the 40 man roster. I mean, right now if the Mets needed to call someone up. You're talking Rivera or Reynolds, Matt Reynolds. And Matt Reynolds is probably going to be that guy, and it, it could be today, actually, with Gil Martin going down because they're short on the bench. But Reynolds is probably going to be that guy because he's on the 40, whether that's right, that that's the reason he's coming up or not. Who knows? But Rivera, Rivera should definitely get a shot at some point this season. I'm just not sure he's going to. And uh, in case you're uh, listening, yes, we are talking with Michael Mayer, MetsMiners.net. Mets wrapping up in Colorado later this afternoon, and uh, who knows when you guys listen to this. So it's possible that uh, that transaction that Michael referenced to regarding Matt Reynolds happens already. So just a little time context there. One guy we saw in spring training is Travis Tyrone, 
and uh, again, continuing to hit high on base percentage, has pop. He's an outfielder now, again, with this team, Granderson, Cespedes, Lagares. Uh, you know, he would, at best, he'd be a fourth outfielder. Now, here's the thing. But the fact that Diaz is not playing a heck of a lot, you wonder if uh, if, if Tyrone, uh, Tyrone, Tyrone would be, I should say, would have been a, a better, less expensive bench piece. I know he bats right-handed uh, versus what Diaz uh, is. But uh, some potential there. Again, and maybe a starter potentially uh, to fit in a component player. But at the very least, he looks like he could be a bench piece and help the Mets now if, if they need be. Yeah, I, the knock on Tyrone is the strikeouts. I mean, he's stri- he's striking out more than once per game in Vegas and that's only going to that's only going to go up when you're talking about coming to see big league pitching. He definitely has power. He he does take a walk. He plays an okay right field. The other issue is he doesn't play he doesn't have a ton of experience outside of right field. It would have been nice maybe the last year or so if the Mets had given him a first base glove and uh seen what he can do there but over the last two years it's been mainly right field for him so he's kind of stuck in that spot and he's 27 now so I don't see a ton of potential outside we're talking maybe a a fifth outfielder but he would have I mean he's definitely he could have done what Diaz has done this year and at a much cheaper price uh, that's for sure but I I don't think he has a long a long-term future in the majors the old joke is when Brandon Nimmo was was traded, the whole Finding Nimmo uh, meme that was out there. I don't know what uh, Brandon Nimmo is. I mean, he's again in Vegas. It's so hard for me to judge offensive talent. I certainly think for a first round pick, he's been a disappointment. He shows no power. Uh, there seems to be a level of disappointment with Nimmo, to a certain degree, at least from my outside perception with the organization. Uh, right now in Vegas, uh, Nimmo's hitting uh, 275. He's got a home run. I mean, he does have a decent on-base percentage. It looks like he, you know, plays an okay outfield. This guy profiles fourth outfielder. Um, Fernando Martinez comes to mind sometimes uh, when I think of Nimmo. Where is the organization at? Where is Nimmo at with his development? He's he's on the cusp. He's in Vegas, but it seems like he's a little bit far off, even though he's in AAA. Yeah, I think I think the Mets are pretty disappointed in what they've seen with Nimmo, and not just at the plate. He's had some issues defensively in center field, which can't happen for a guy that that's part of his value is that he's a good defender in center and right and left. But he, he's getting on base, which is what he's always done, though. He's just, I mean, he has a 367 slugging in Vegas, which is, I mean, Noah Syndergaard could do better <laughs> than that in Vegas. Um, that's right. But, so he, the the power's still not there. After he talked about trying a new approach this year, being a little more aggressive earlier in the count. He's just he's for me he's too passive at the plate. Two and oh he'll get a good fastball and he he doesn't he doesn't go after it aggressively. I he's still only twenty three, he's actually younger than Michael Conforto, so there's I'm, there's still time there for him to develop. I'm just I'm not sure it's going to happen. He He's got a good swing. He just he's not aggressive enough at the plate, and he he's just not showing enough power. And I still think he has a role as a fourth or fifth outfielder. Definitely has that, and we could see him at some point this year. But I think that'll still be looked as a disappointment for a lot of fans since he was a first round pick. 
who else on the Vegas team could help this team right now? If the Mets needed uh, more pitching, uh, there's a lot of names, a lot of relievers on there. Uh, uh, Gil Martin, who you just mentioned, has, has shown me a lot. He showed a lot last year. Uh, he's pitching well in Vegas, which means a lot. But who can who can help this team offensively, pitching-wise? We mentioned some names already. But I think there's a, there may be a few others that are going to be needed. And you always need 8 to 10 starters. You're always going to need an extra reliever as the season goes on. We saw that this week with what happened in, on the West Coast trip. Give us a couple other names uh, that you're looking at that could potentially be con- contributors to the 2016 Mets. Well, I know Mets fans are going to cringe when I say his name, but Rafael Montero is a guy that could still help. He he had a rough start to the year. He came up to the Mets and got a hit around a little bit. But the thing I saw when he was with the Mets is that his fastball was back. He was back to hitting 93, 94 miles per hour, and his slider looked sharper. And last night he threw six scoreless innings for the second straight start without giving up a run, had seven strikeouts, only allowed two hits last night, and he hit 94 with his fastball. So I, Montero's not a guy I'm going to give up on yet. Maybe he's just he's not the two or three starter that we thought he was originally, but I still think he has some value as a like a Logan Verrett-type role if Verrett goes down or something like that. Um, other names, you go to the bullpen. Edgen is pitched extremely well he's only given up three hits in the minors on his rehab uh with 13 strikeouts um his fastball isn't there yet he's only hitting 89 90 but the sliders looked great and i think i think the fastball is just something that's gonna come need a little time to come around after having tommy john surgery um and the other the other name i would look at out of the bullpen is smoker he had a rough outing the other day but he He's still a guy that's striking out a ton of guys in AAA. I mean, it's tough to ignore a lefty that throws 95-96 and has a great changeup. And then the last name I would look at out of the bullpen is Paul Seawold, who no matter where he's pitched for the Mets, he's he's kind of the pitching version of T.J. Rivera, really, because all he's done is pitch great in the minor leagues, and yet he isn't highly thought of. He could have been taken in the Rule 5 this year, but no one decided to take him. But he's in his career, he has a 184 ERA in the minor leagues. And, and a whip under one. Gets, I mean, that's, this, that's yeah. the amazing part. I mean, that's those are solid, really solid numbers. Yeah, and the knock on, I mean, he didn't get taken in the Rule 5 this year. It's partially because he doesn't light up the, ra- the radar gun. He's high 80s, low 90s guy, but he he has a terrific breaking ball, and he's got kind of a, a funky delivery that you don't see very often, so he uh, it's tough for the hitters to pick up on his fastball. I would I would definitely say the perception of his fastball is that it probably comes in much harder, which is part of the reason he's so successful with not throwing in the mid-90s. And, and in the, the bullpen, that's, that's, that's part of it. I mean, a lot of – but a lot of people forget it's okay. It, obviously, you want your relievers to throw 95, 96, 97. But having different arm angles coming out of that pen throughout a game, if this is a guy that I always think of, I don't want to compare him, but uh, Chad Bradford, how he would come in against righties with a, a funky arm angle, didn't throw hard, and struck out a lot of players, struck out a lot of hitters. So, I mean, that could be a good thing, having some kind of unorthodox, even though the radar gun is going to say 88, 89. 90 miles an hour is 
as Keith Hernandez said, that's plenty to get guys out if the location is there and the deception is there. Oh, definitely. I agree. I mean, as Mets fans, we've seen it with Bradford. We've seen it with Joe Smith. We saw it with Darren O'Day for a short period before Manaya screwed that up. But Seawald doesn't – he's not a submarine-type guy like them, but he is. He's like a three-fourths delivery-type guy in a funky, funky delivery. So he's definitely someone that um, relies on deception and a great off-speed pitch. But I, I think he's the type of guy that you could see pitch – in the big leagues in the sixth, seventh inning, go an inning or two. And I I think at some point we see him with the Mets, whether it's this year or next year. I think we see him at some point, and I I think he's going to do fine. Before I let you go, one last thing. Is there a player, whether it's one of the Baseball America top ten that we didn't touch on or somebody that you're looking at, could be anywhere in the organization, could be years away, that you're keeping an eye on? Because I think one of the – the things about covering the minor leagues and looking at the minor leagues is just what we talked about with the Paul Seawalds, that you see a guy like that guy, no one's talking about him. Is there somebody else that we're not talking about that the fans should know about that keep an eye on here in 2016, whether they can make it to the majors this year or not, but somebody that you're having a particular interest in that's going under the radar? Well, I'd I'd have to talk about a couple of guys, but the first one I would talk about is – Desmond Lindsay, who hasn't played yet this year, he uh, he'll start the year off in Brooklyn. He's extended spring training right now. He there was a chance he could have started with Columbia, but he actually got hit in the head during um, extended spring games this year. I mean, we're talking about a guy that is a possible five-tool player, and from coaches I've talked to this spring, said he's showing off a ton of power, which is one of the question marks with him. Now he's just recently moved to center field, so that's still a learning process for him. But he's a guy that, if he stays healthy, he's had some hand hamstring issues in the past. But if he stays healthy, he's a guy that can hit, can run, can get on base, and is athletic enough to be a good center fielder. So he's definitely a name that's he's three or four years down the road, but he's someone you should keep an eye on. And another one I would have to talk about is David Thompson who was the Mets' fourth-round pick last year, who's had a great season with the Columbia Fireflies. He he was leading minor league baseball in RBIs. He's second right now with 36, and he's played a good third base, too. The questions with him coming out of the draft were he's had some shoulder issues, whether he could his arm could stand up at third, and I've I've watched him nine or ten times this year, and he's, he's looked good defensively over there, and the arm has looked strong, and I mean, he's he's a guy that's going to hit. He set the Florida State home run record, which Prince Fielder previously had. So he's got pop, and he's a guy I would definitely look for and should get a promotion soon. And the Florida State League, if I remember correctly, not always the easiest league to hit with power, if I remember correctly. Is that still the case? Yeah, Florida, Florida State League and where Thompson plays in the South Atlantic League, they're both more of – Pitcher parts, pitcher you league. don't start getting into even yeah, the Eastern league. league. You know, Michael, even the Eastern League. I'm spent. I mean, I know, I know Trenton is a historical pitcher's ballpark, but outside of the Pacific Coast League, where the Mets, and we we could go into a whole show about that whole abomination. Uh, and hopefully, at some point, that changes because having your AAA team in Vegas is just logistically a nightmare. 
um, unless you're out in Colorado, I guess. Um, yeah. The whole system is pitcher-friendly parks. So any of this offensive yeah. explosion really stands out, with the exception of Vegas and Cashman Field out there. Oh, definitely, for sure. Uh, Binghamton, most people call it neutral, but when you're talking about playing in Binghamton, New Hampshire, and Portland in April and May, fly balls Ooh. die. Why they do you even go to the die. game? Was... I'm wondering why you're out there at the ballpark. I mean, maybe today won't be too bad, but it's 50 degrees out here in, in on Long Island where I am. It must be freezing up over there by you. Yeah, it, actually, it, it was 74 at first pitch yesterday, but the day before it was 44. So, yeah, it's – baseball, it's not conducive weather in Maine and New Hampshire for baseball in April or May, and – I was talking to Dom when I talked to Dom Smith yesterday. He he said he had two or three balls that he hit in New Hampshire that he thought for sure were gone that just died on the track, and that's kind of how it is. So it it definitely it does play in early in the season. The power numbers definitely in the Eastern League as well. What's your fa- one last thing? This is an interesting part because minor league baseball, as much as it's about the prospects and what we're talking about, there's a lot of fun aspects about the ballparks and the teams and the people. Is I don't know how many parks. I don't know if it's just the Eastern League that you cover uh, or physically go to. Are there is there a fun area, city, ballpark that you like to go to uh, that just stands out to you? Something interesting. Maybe you recommend if you know a fan wants to go and do a uh, a summer trip for you know personal purposes, but also to go out there and, and watch a, some minor league baseball. What do you like to uh, see? What do you, what do you recommend? Well, I would I'm, I would be a homer saying it living in Maine, but uh, Portland Sea Dogs play at Hadlock Stadium, and it's it's continuously always up in the top ten of best stadiums and best minor league experiences. They have one of the best mascots in baseball with Slugger. They have what they call the Maine Monster in, out in left field, which they made look like the Green Monster for Fenway, and it's a great stadium. But I, I would also talk about uh, new Spirit Communications Park in uh, South Carolina, where the Mets' new low-A affiliate, Firefly. Columbia Firefly. Right. It's a right. great stadium. I mean, it's got a it's got a concourse so that you can walk all around the field just like at City Field, and it's open 365 days a year, so you can go in there and walk around and see stuff anytime. It, it's a great new stadium. I would. I haven't been there yet, but I talked to the president, John Katz, and he is extremely excited about it and uh, hopefully go down and see that later this year. Well, Michael, you've been very generous with your time. I know you're heading out to the ballpark today. Let's do this again as the year goes on. Great information, and um, we'll uh, we'll definitely uh, keep an eye on some of these players. And uh, be well. Have a great rest of the weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, my friend? All right. Thanks, Mike. And that's Michael Mayer, MetsMiners.net, at Mets underscore Miners on Twitter, at the main Mets, if you want to follow, my, follow Michael directly on uh, Twitter. All right, final segment. Let's, uh, let's take a break. Well, when we come back, uh, final. And that's Michael Mayer, MetsMiners.net, at Mets underscore Miners on Twitter, at the main Mets on Twitter, if you want to follow, follow Michael directly. All right, final comments and thoughts. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. 
I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. All right, I want to thank Seth Everett, at Seth underscore Everett. Check him out on NBC Sports Radio. I want to thank Michael Mayer, MetsMiners.net, at Mets underscore Miners, at the main Mets on Twitter. Of course, you can check out the show on replay at MetsMiresOnline.com. Go to the Talking Mets link. Go check it out on SoundCloud. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Do have a great weekend. Have a great rest of the Sunday. No, using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy. Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.